Hello, and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the interesting and creative people of Austin, Texas. As always, my intention is to have meaningful and in-depth conversations that I hope will be of value to you, the listener. They certainly are to me. I really love doing these interviews, and hopefully we can all figure out together how to better connect and support our local art communities and create opportunities and success for ourselves through conversations like these. You might have noticed, unlike many other podcasts, this one has no sponsors. For me, it's a passion project that I create and produce 100% on my own every week please consider helping to support me and my continued efforts by becoming a patron of mine. Go to austinarttalk.com and click on the support tab to learn more. And if you really love an episode and have a feeling it might benefit someone else, please share it with them. It might be exactly what they need to hear. Thanks to those who follow and interact with me on Instagram, at austinarttalk. That is by far my favorite social media platform. I post daily about local art events and try to support and share the work of previous podcast guests, along with other interesting people, art, and podcasts that I find which you might enjoy. On to the rest of the show. Annalise Gratovich is a Texas printmaker who uses a lot of different tools and a supportive community to create small to sometimes very large prints. She can often be found carving carefully and meditatively out of wood, scribing into metal, or hand-dyeing paper, the goal being to breathe life into the various beings, objects, and plants that inhabit the totemic and endearing world she has created, a world inspired by her family heritage and a desire to engender empathy and wonder. Everything is revealed when the paper is pulled from the intricately crafted inked matrix. All the hard work culminates in prints that will live on the walls of art lovers and collectors who appreciate the care and compassion that comes through in her work. She also travels to many other print shops as a guest artist and lecturer, is on the board of directors for Print Austin, and works at the Blanton Museum of Art. Here is Annalise. Well, Annalise, thanks for being on my podcast. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here talking with you. It's so funny because my very last podcast guest, Owen Hammonds, Mm -hmm. I went to his house to interview him and... There in his office is one of your huge, beautiful prints Mm -hmm. framed. So it was like kind of a funny connection there. That is, yeah. Um, Yeah, I guess uh, Hollis and Owen are collectors of your work. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Yeah, they actually have a home full of art, which is always such a treat for me when I come across people that are really into collecting art and they take me on a tour of their home and tell me about every piece has a story and they have a connection. And it's like, oh, I found this in this place and this person and... I know you're really into collecting art mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. I am. I feel like it's um, very much a blessing and a curse oh, of well, artists yeah, right. to <laughs> constantly want to collect work. And then yeah. we do generate these stories with them or have experiences or we know people. Um, and yeah, it's very it's very enriching. I think and, so. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing I'm missing right now about not having my own place is not being in, surrounded by all the art that I've collected mm-hmm. and just as something very comforting for me mm-hmm. about that. It makes me wonder like how, you know, how people might get a similar sense of that without being into art collecting or how they might balance that in some other way with something else, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I just I feel like that's so important to me. Yeah, yeah, same. It is to me too. And I mean, I collect artwork and I collect, I don't know, toys arcade oh, okay. toys and knickknacks i oh, love cool. kitsch yeah um to my detriment 
Um, oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, or just nature things. I've always, like, picked up stones or interesting leaves mm-hmm. or shells or whatever. I found acorns in my jacket pocket recently that I oh. picked up in Georgia from when I was oh, visiting okay. my brother, and I just thought they were really cute acorns. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like if people don't collect artwork, there's usually something... right that they do gravitate towards that they collect that brings them that same kind of joy. Yeah. Whether it's a physical object or not, or something that ties into that need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To surround yourself with the things that inspire yeah. you. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. I've always been a collector my whole life, mm-hmm. all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. And speaking of collecting, I've just, you know, we should mention that you're a printmaker mm-hmm. and that there seems to be something specific around the idea of printmaking and collecting prints and that is not quite integrated into the art world in the way that it should be or so, am, I, am I kind of understanding that right? I feel like there's kind of a thing with printmaking that's kind of like, oh, well, we don't understand it or it's yes. there's so many variations and... There is a thing with printmaking okay, and, so, and collecting okay. printmaking. The ability to make an original piece of artwork in multiples yes. lends itself to making that artwork more accessible. More people can purchase it or collect it, or it can be shown in multiple places at the same time. So it has this very egalitarian um, quality to it. But then also, because it um, is produced in multiples, it's seen as less than Hmm. you know less than a painting where there's just one and there's this this idea of of collecting that only one and you know the way that we commodify artwork and the the way that that the way that that functions printmaking has always just kind of been cast to the side a little bit Hmm. and um that's one thing that printmakers you know we find ourselves advocating for printmaking as an art practice so often because there's also this misconception like oh it's reproduction oh so you know this says there's one of 25 or one of you know seven or one of 50 where's the original and so i feel like we are always having to kind of explain you know that each one is original um, but there are multiples and it's not, it's not a reproduction, but I think that there's a lot of misconception about what printmaking is and also the way that our culture and art collecting has commodified the singular has a lot to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's coming from a mindset of value. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like that's as much about aesthetic happiness. Right. <laughs> you know? Yes. It's about value. Absolutely. Yeah, or perceive yeah. like if I'm if I'm going to buy this, I want to mm-hmm. feel like I'm buying something that has that it's unique, mm-hmm. or that I mm-hmm. own the only one. Or mm-hmm. I mean, I think maybe I wonder if photography suffered has suffered for a similar reason because it's even now with digital photography, I feel like people do fine art photography. They put limits on maybe I'm only going to make 25 prints of this, but it uh-huh. seems a little much of a little bit of a stretch to me because you could print a thousand of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think about printmaking that way. I mean, there's de- I absolutely limits to it just from mm-hmm. my the understanding I have of it. Like, you can't just make a thousand prints of something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe you could if you had more of an industrial process, but not in the fine art way that you're making work. Right, right. And that everything is is pieced together the you know the the printing plate and the ink and the papers and it's run through you know more often than not a manual printing press and so it's all very manual um, and laborious and technical and you have and failures so, absolutely <laughs> lots of failures yeah yeah mm-hmm. 
but then you don't have failures and it's wonderful. Yeah. That's how, that's how it all comes together. Yeah. When you're pulling the paper off and you see it for the first time. Yes. It's always a surprise. Mm-hmm. Either a good one or a bad one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So why printmaking? I mean, it seems like your life is printmaking. My life that's is huge. printmaking. It is. Um, it's the most important thing to me. I love the process of it and the history and the way that it is so egalitarian mm-hmm. um, that you can you can reach a lot of people and by by making something that you can replicate, you can share it with more people. And that to me is very important. Um, I'm not interested in making something that I'm just going to keep or that one person is going to have or it's just going to be this very exclusive, precious thing. You know, I like um, making images that I can that I can recreate and um, can can share with the most people as possible. I also really like the technical aspect of it, um, carving into wood for a woodcut. Um, or, you know, using chemistry to etch into copper plates, you know, and I spend a lot of time making these tools. Um, Printmaking is very tool-based. It's Mm. very manual. And there's a lot of problem-solving and technical acumen that you have to develop. I love that side of it. And it's kind of scientific and it's, you know, architectural in a way. It's sculptural. um, But then in the end, you're, you're bringing all these different elements together and utilizing um, machinery to create a piece of, of art that luckily, knock on wood, all comes together well yeah. once you get all those pieces together. Um, and it is a lot of problem solving, which I which I find very, mm. um, in a different way, like, you know, creating a piece of artwork, you have to do a lot of problem solving. It's taking something, you know, your self-expression yeah. and exactly making something that comes together well, um, that communicates what you want to communicate. But then when you add on this layer of, of technicality, um, it just, it, for me, it, it keeps my interest. It holds my interest very mm-hmm. well. And so the first time I made a print, I just fell in love with it. So even now in today's age, there's still technical challenges or unknowns mm-hmm. or things that you're pushing the limits of. Yeah, absolutely. And any given day that you go into a print shop, it's so funny because we joke about like even the the humidity in the air, if it's raining, you know, oh, the inks are going to, you know, the paper is going to be temperamental or, you know, little, little things like that. Um, And every time you make a new matrix and you're pulling a print from it for the first time, you have to, you know, printing one woodcut is not the same as printing another. You always have to problem solve and figure out the way that it needs to be printed. And it seems like it's an art form that lends itself more to community than maybe some of the more kind of isolating mm-hmm. things if mm-hmm. you're just a painter sitting in your studio. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And that's also something that I love about it. And I, from the very beginning, was captivated by sharing a studio space pretty much out of necessity, right? These machines are very expensive. They weigh multiple tons. You yeah. need your chemistry areas. Um, and so it lends itself to shared spaces to create your work within. But also, I think because printmakers are drawn to working in that environment, there's an inherent um, compatibility and need for that community and working together and sharing your, your knowledge and your creativity. And that was one of the greatest things that really pulled me into printmaking mm. was the people. And printmakers say this all the time, like to exhaustion, that we talk about how much we love our print community. But yeah. that is such a big part of it is the the people that you work with. And it's not just a singular art practice. You know, you, you share a lot with a lot of people around you. 
Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of openness and the goal is for everyone to win. Like, yes. every, let's all figure this out together. Yes. The more knowledge, the better. And the more people who know it, the better. And we make better work and we share greater ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I wonder if we go back a little bit, where do you think that this all came from, this desire to make art in general in your life? Um. Well, it depends on how far back we go. Well, I don't <laughs> so, know, whatever you um, think the genesis would be. Yeah, you know? so, well, I kind of come from a family of artists and mm-hmm. musicians. Um, every Everyone in my immediate family is a musician, classically trained, and they're, they're working artists. Did it feel weird at all not being a musician? Yes, and it still does. And okay. growing up, you know, I would be in, I would be with my mom and brother, and you know, having family dinner, or even over the holidays or something. And now my brother's wife, my sister in law, is a is a practicing musician. Oh wow! Okay. And so they have they have conversations about music and pedagogy. They're also educators and music theory. And I'm just like it's way over my head. It's like I'll sit at the table for half an hour, and I'm like, I have no idea what they're yeah talking about but i love hearing other people's shop talk Hmm. and if you get printmakers together it's our favorite thing to talk about is you know shop talk of printmaking so i grew up in um a household of artists and it runs in the family and it was fostered in me and my brother from a very young age we were never pushed towards it but we were definitely allowed to run and, and take it with us yeah, so, it seemed like a viable option. Yeah, yeah. And then also growing up with musicians and parents as working musicians, I saw the dedication that it takes mm-hmm. um, and that you you always have to be working and perfecting your craft and finding opportunities. And it's definitely not an easy profession to break into or to continue being in. Um, so growing up with with you know, being able to see what it takes, the kind of work ethic and practice and discipline, because it is a lot of that. I think that was very helpful. Yeah. And do you, do you see yourself now as just being very driven? Are you just like a workaholic or? Yeah. I'm afraid (laughs) of being a workaholic, but I think, I think I am like, I like to consider myself as like passionate and driven, but at the end of the day, maybe I'm just a workaholic. Does that, does that term just seem too negative? Like what don't you like about that? It seems negative to me. Okay. Usually when I think of workaholics, I feel like they're so focused on, on one thing that they miss everything. Else. Oh yeah. Not and so balance. Exactly. And I, and I have to practice that consciously mm. and it's, you know, now that I'm a bit older, I find a lot of value in slowing down mm. and treating my, the time I'm relaxing just as, you know, important, treating it as importantly as the time I'm working. And so mm. um, I put a lot of effort towards finding that balance. But there, of course, times when that gets imbalanced and I'm just working constantly. Like, this is the first conversation I've had with somebody since mid-November. I mean, yeah. I've been working constantly, you know, over the break, getting ready for this exhibition I have right. coming up, which I, we'll probably talk about later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was really nervous about doing this because I was oh. like, I haven't talked to anybody <laughs> like outside of work or just, you know, just simple conversations here and there. I hope I can still converse properly. Yeah. But um, but when you're in the middle of these months of just working, is it just like you're just like, yeah, I'm in my element. It just feels Yes good. and no. I mean, yeah, there, there are points of that, but then there are also points of getting exhausted mm. and getting a little burnt out physically and mentally. Mm. And um, I've been nursing an injury in my hand oh. and carving wood is extremely physical and, yeah. the, and the process of printing is very physical. So I've had to compensate 
with, you know, other motions and other, you know, other muscles. And yeah. so then I've thrown other things out of whack and I've had to take a couple days off from my practice in order to just give my body a break. Um, so that comes into play a lot. There are times when I can just go, yeah, a month and a half and just work constantly and not think about it. But then I get to a point where it's like, okay, I really, I need a break. I need to not think about this for a few days Yeah, and recoup. Well, that's good that you can recognize that and slow down a little bit or stop. Yeah, yeah. So your family were musicians and Mm -hmm. then you at some point found printmaking, I'm assuming in college or... Yeah, so I was, I mean, I was always drawing and writing and making marks on things, whether they were pictorial or, you know, language based or making messes and just creating things. It's it's how I like to express myself when I was young and still do. Um, But I was in community college when I took printmaking seriously for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, that was at ACC. And I wandered by the print studio and I saw the the print presses and, you know, the manual machinery and um, just fell in love. I was like, I don't know what this is, but I need to know. I want to yeah. take this class. This looks so cool. And I saw what people were making, um, which was very was that? intriguing. That was the Rio Grande campus. Oh, which is totally Totally gutted now. right now. Gutted, They're remodeling. Yeah. yeah. And so the all the arts, I think, have kind of moved towards the Highland campus. Yeah. And if anybody's interested in printmaking, I always recommend to take the class, the introductory class at um, Mm. ACC. It's a great way to get into it. And the people in the department are just wonderful. And I'm very fortunate to to still be great friends with my first teacher, Terry Goodhue. And um, some other people in that class are great friends of mine, you know, 13, 14 years later, which is which is awesome. So it's probably a good survey. You'd probably do all kinds of styles. You do. Yeah, yeah, you start with um with relief with woodcuts and um with intaglio copper plate etching and you go into litho as well. And so it's a really good way to get a, a quick survey. Kind of a down and dirty like printmaking 101 yeah, introduction. Yeah. Um and so I I took that class and just kept doing it totally fell in love with it and um, then put a portfolio together and went to UT, uh, UT Austin and got my degree there um, and just haven't stopped. Now, one thing I was wondering about just because your style is so distinctive, are you drawing these things first on paper or mm-hmm. is it go, it's directly the carving? Yeah. A lot of times I draw my, I draw like a printmaker, meaning I work in layers. And okay. so my favorite material to draw on is tracing paper. And I um, will layer layers of tracing paper and develop my images that way and make edits that way and kind of figure out how I want to print an image as I'm drawing it. Um, so it's like a preliminary drafting experience. Um, and then I'll transfer it to a woodcut. I don't usually have a finished idea in mind. I'll get like a, like a skeleton of a drawing mm. onto a woodcut um, or a copper plate. And then I do the final problem solving and decision making while I'm actually carving the oh, wood wow. or, or etching into the copper. And the reason is there there's a, a visual um, technique like of carving exactly um, is so different from drawing. I mean, and sometimes if, if I have a drawing, I'm like, I don't really know what that's going to look like if I carve it. Um, oh, yeah. I'll draw it on something and I'll carve it out and I'll see how successful it is. And, uh, you know, transferring the idea to the to the medium. Sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect there. There are people who who 
draw everything on their matrix and and just reproduce that um i can't do that and so mm-hmm. i i like a bit more flexibility and and i like to allow room for a bit more of an intuitive image making process yeah yeah and if you think back to the work that you did at acc and ut do you see the genesis of your style was your style already kind of developing before you even started in printmaking when you were just kind of drawing on your own or is that all evolved since college um i think there's always been a seed for it um a lot of my work is is it's still harnessed within the same ideas and same interests and so there's a lot of emotive quality i think of the work that is still there of course my aesthetic decisions and aesthetic problem solving have developed as i've learned how to work through that process. But yes, I was doing these type of, of figures, uh, this type of figurative work in college, hmm. started started doing it then, and then really developed that, that visual language and my aesthetic once I decided to commit to it and run with it and figure out exactly what I was doing and why I was doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I just remembered that, um, and we've talked about this, like one of the first prints that i bought i think was one of yours and it was that's one of those right. little beasties oh yeah that's right like, that's right the that animals from? that was oh that was from community college okay wow yeah All yeah, right. yeah that was a long time ago i know that was yeah that was probably over 10 years ago already yeah i wonder if right? that wasn't out of a space over at balm or something it was yeah mm-hmm. it was it was um for austin pets alive oh yeah that's right it? yes right? it yeah. was yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i have that piece um and it's in my flat file, which I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Who, who doesn't have a flat file full of art that isn't framed on I their know. wall? I know. We all do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe describe to the listeners more about kind of the evolution of your style. Where do you, th- where do you think that it came from mm-hmm. and what it looks like? Mm-hmm. You know, what your work is like. I know that's a lot. But. Um, well... It's a good way to get an elevator pitch about what it is. So yeah. my work is, it's, it's figurative. It's highly figurative. It's stylized. There's a lot of um, pattern and this repetition of pattern, a lot of symbolism in the work. And um, it has a lot to do with personal and cultural identity. And that's the main impetus for the work. And I have a, a huge interest in um, empathy and compassion and humanizing Hmm. people that's been that's been a a big um, part of my work in my life that's a big interest in my work so that has a lot to do with with it being figurative and um, my figures are are very you know they're kind of round they're rounded they're what I consider based off Matryoshka dolls which are the Russian stacking dolls and so Mm -hmm. that kind of accounts for their doll-like quality and um a lot of the the patterns that i bring into the work are inspired by ukrainian embroidery i have ukrainian heritage and then i also i am 100 percent texan so i also blend a lot of um southwestern south you know american Mm -hmm. south um, imagery into the work as well and i use these visual languages to root the characters to a specific place because that sense of belonging and home and being rooted and grounded is is very important in the work yeah yeah and what world do these characters live in do you imagine you know they seem like beings in another reality that is a very interesting question i've never been asked that before because it's not it's not ours 
but it's not other than ours. That's very yeah. interesting. Some of, like some of my etchings, I think of them as kind of like memorial photography, kind of hmm. like tin types, and um, you know something. I like thinking of the work, even though some of it is like life size or larger than life size, and some is very small. I like thinking of it as something that we kind of use to to look and remember something or someone or recognize ourselves within kind of mm. having this this memorial type quality to it so something in the ether that's neither yeah. here nor there i yeah. guess that exists within us i know that there are definitely in some of them symbols and references to your family history mm-hmm. and to your past and yeah. stories and yeah did you want to share any anything of that in particular that kind of so, you know, you mentioned the large prints. Mm-hmm. That's from your Carrying Things Home mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. And those are three foot by five and a half feet. That's right. Yeah. So that's still an ongoing series. Oh, cool. Uh, that I've been working on for a long time. So I have six of those woodcuts published. And yes, they're very large. And um, the impetus for for that series came from my family history. So my father is a a war refugee from Ukraine who Mm -hmm. left with his parents, um, my grandparents, when he was very young, in the middle of the night with literally what they could carry. During World War II. During World War II, yes. And um, I was at a point where I was just thinking a lot about this and, you know, having the the experience of, of thinking about how that's affected me and my sense of, of personal and cultural belonging and identity. And mm-hmm. um, that is a, there's so much displacement in the world and there always has been, unfortunately. And so that's a very, um, a very pertinent thing that I think about often. Mm. Also, um, I like to use my work to, to humanize people, humanize myself and others and have that, you know, that, that uh, personal connection with people. And so all of those ideas came together into the series. And so these figures are totemic beings that have kind of a soul identity and they are surrounded by things that, that allude to that identity, either, you know, animals or objects or tools, plants, plants. Exactly. Yeah. And so the one that I like to reference the most about my family history is one that kind of happened serendipitously. I wasn't planning for this, but um, one of the characters is a musician who is the artist in the series. um, And he's holding an accordion and has this very floral costume on and is surrounded by, you know, an alcohol jug and some dice and he's smoking a a cigarette. And then I realized pretty much after I had drawn that piece much later, that that came out of a story that I was familiar with growing up. Um, I never met my, my grandfather on my dad's side. Um, but I, you know, a lot of stories have been passed down and, um, he was an accordionist. He was a technically trained, uh, engineer in Ukraine and worked along the front lines, dismantling factories and mm-hmm. sending resources back to the communist back East yeah. to keep him out of the hands of Axis powers. And, um, when they finally fled, he would play accordion. My grandmother would sing to allied forces and they would trade and barter on the black market for goods and services and clothing and shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he worked his way into the series as the musician playing accordion. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I love stories like that. I, yeah, my, both of my grandfathers were, were in World War II, mm-hmm. though, also. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't really have any, off the top of my, my head, I can't think of any really cool stories like that. I mean, that's just like 
wow, they really lived through something. Yeah. Historic, amazing. They did. And it's always been, it's always been a big question for me and my father as well. I mean, they, you know, his parents didn't want to talk about it. Once they got Mm. here, my grandmother had a very hard time acclimating. There Mm. was a big Ukrainian community in Boston. So they got sponsored by the Tolstoy Foundation eventually and went to Boston and, you know, she never really learned how to speak English. And there was enough of a community there where she could stay pretty yeah. insulated. And um, she suffered really the rest of her life. She she um, had early onset dementia and needed a lot of help and always thought that the war was still happening mm. and would have, you know, she was she was tormented literally for the rest of her life, yeah. which is really sad. And so I didn't get to know her very well. And then, you know, my grandfather, he passed. um, And so I never got to meet him. And so really, we just have like a couple photographs and bits and pieces of these stories that my dad has been able to learn throughout the course of time. But it's been a a huge interest to him, of course, and um, wanting to learn more about it. And for me, wanting to know more about it, because it was so it was just it was not long ago. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about your grandmother, it made me wonder back to what you had said a few minutes ago about your just the priority in your life of empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. Like, I just wonder, like, with the way you were talking about your grandmother, I felt very, I felt empathy and compassion towards her, mm-hmm. you know, but I just wonder, like, where did that come from for you? Like, why is that so important to you? Well, it's... Um, and to, is it towards yourself and to others? I mean, can you give it to yourself it as much as yes, you can give I it can. to others? Yes, yeah. I can. Yes, okay. I can. And I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. It's just, it's been a part of my identity for as long as I can remember, really. Yeah. And then I just, I don't know. I, I feel like if I can use whatever tools are available to me, to have meaningful connections with people and share, you know, kind of share our human experience. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much, I don't know, it's for me, having empathy is about being connected to your inner world and other people's inner worlds. And like when we're children, that that becomes that's second nature to us, right? We're very involved with our own worlds and what's going on in our own minds. And um, a lot of children are, you know, great artists because they yeah. they are so involved that way, and they're very creative and they're playful, and that's their job is figuring things out. And they're not judging. Yeah, not judging, and just being playful and experiencing things and learning that way. And then when we get older, our job is the outer world, right? Is paying bills, is having a job, is performing our our societal roles, yeah. and we lose touch with our inner worlds. Hmm. And for me, artwork is a way to access that and also communicate to that in other people. So I think that's that connection with hmm. with, with empathy that so I find within my work. Yeah. So you're mm-hmm. maybe through artwork, a person sharing their inner world, and then hopefully that'll connect with someone else's mm-hmm. inner world, mm-hmm. maybe in a way they weren't even expecting, or maybe maybe they're not in touch with their inner world, but maybe something that you make triggers that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the greatest functions of, of art is you know inspiring somebody or triggering an inquisitiveness or a curiosity or 
you know, sometimes it's, it's beautiful. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's, you know, it's angering or disgusting, right? Art can take many forms, but it's a way for us to kind of come outside of ourselves and have a conversation with ourselves, um, which I think is one of the greatest functions of, yeah. of artwork. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, you know, we have two of your large prints here and I just, mm-hmm. I feel like these characters really, like they seem powerful and iconic and legendary almost but then i also feel like i want to protect them too you know they do i feel like engender Uh some empathy i'm just wondering there's something very specific that a lot of your characters have is these black bars under their eyes do you mind talking about that that's just so interesting to me so they have very doll like faces they're 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 rendered very very simply the the eyes are very large and then um, kind of where you would imagine maybe bright red cheeks. Yeah. Um, instead, they're black and they run from underneath the the bottom eyelid all the way down to the, you know, to the jawline. And it is a way that I kind of imbue these characters that are otherwise just very simple, right? Rendered very simply with a, with a greater emotive quality, having that kind of that solemnness. Yeah, in the face. Mm-hmm. It does seem solemn to me. It almost mm-hmm. seems like it could be a river of tears. Sure, yeah. It, so it makes me feel like they're a little sad. Yeah, yeah. I think they are. Oh, and yeah. I think that's... <laughs> am I, am yes, I, like, no, duh. and especially in the series. No, th- <laughs> okay. but that's, that's it, right? Because there's a lot of... Um, so each one of these... The series is about becoming who you are meant to be, right? Mm. Carrying things from home is bringing, bringing what you need with you to be who you who you are meant to be, and so that's why each one of these characters has a very soul identity, and they're very totemic. And with that is a lot of um, trial and error, and most often that's painful in our lives, yeah. and um, we go through a lot of struggles to fulfill ourselves in what we want from life, you know, most passionately, that takes a lot of, that takes a lot of work and, um, usually a lot of experiences that are painful in many different ways. Can be. Yeah. What this makes me think of is, you know, the title of these, these pieces, carrying things from home. It makes me think of, was there anything particularly notable to talk about your, transition from being at home to leaving home and being out on your own the things that you carried out into the Mm. world like how 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 could we think about that like there could be ideas that could be physical things you know like what would what did you carry with you into your life yeah that's philosophies tools you know books sayings Hmm. (laughs) that have have served you (laughs) yeah um let's see yeah i mean there's a there's there's a lot. I mean, I feel very connected to my idea of of home, of, of my actual childhood home, and that um, the experiences that I had there. Um, but also past that, you know, there's the, there's this broken history, and so a lot of questions. And I know, you know, being forced out of a home is extremely painful, and that influences generations forward. Yeah. Um, and what I've carried with me um, is, of course, my my practice and my love of um, of doing what I love, and my ability to just kind of throw myself into that. And yeah, there 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 are books, um, and there's I mean plants. 
come into my yeah. work a lot and we should, definitely talk, about uh, we should talk about that and that has still a lot to do with my new series but um i grew up out in the hill country here and my mom is a is an avid gardener and mm-hmm. um she does a lot of landscaping as well and so i grew up taking care of the land and mm. building fences and growing you know food um and so that's been a big part of my life and that has a lot to do with my sense of home. And so anywhere I go, I feel like I take plants with me and have this um uh this connection to the outside world, which I think is important living in a city as yeah. well. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah. I that think was a so. big one. I should yeah. think more about that because I've never I, Well, if anything yeah, comes to you else comes to you, then mm-hmm. you okay. mention it. But I I did want to just talk about this one particular series that we've mm-hmm. been talking about a little bit more, but then we can talk about your botanical sure. work too. Yeah. But I might not have the whole set here, but we have the titles of these six pieces from Carrying Things Home. The mm-hmm. Builder, mm-hmm. the Hunter, the Musician, the Mariner, the Mother, and the Undertaker. Is That's that all right. of them? Yeah, that's all that have been completed so far. And then the next ones, I was going to do a judge and a fool. And I'm still going to do a fool, but I've changed the judge to a healer. Mm. So it's going to be a healer Wonderful. and a fool. Um, and I came I came up with these characters like a long time ago. Yeah, years, I was going to ask you where ago. these came from and if you could like just touch on each one a little bit. Yeah, so I wanted to kind of encompass um, a very rounded sense of our cultural identities, right? So the builder is responsible for like building and shelter. The hunter is, is food. Um, musician is art. Mariner is exploration. Mother is life. Undertaker is death. And then the healer is going to be kind of a more spiritual side. Um, and then the fool is going to be kind of just just that <laughs> yes yeah. so those two are also kind of a pair right the healer and the fool and and the, di- the you know the dichotomy of 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 that but yeah i i guess i you know i was trying to make this series somewhat inclusive of the different roles within a you know quote-unquote society and those are those are what came to me and like I feel like I could go on and I could develop more, yeah. right? Because there's there there are endless things that you could represent. But I also am carving these by hand from a giant block of wood. So I had to I had yeah. to make a make a cut somewhere. And so I feel like eight was a good round number. Yeah. And so that's what I decided to go with. And then changing the changing the judge to the healer, I was having a hard time. Trying not to sounds make, harsh. To I know, <laughs> I know, I, exactly. And so it was going to be kind of harsh, but then I realized like it's going to be too harsh, and it's going to mm. be really hard for me to keep my my political or social right. commentaries yeah, 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 yeah. out of it. And that's not what this work is about. Yes, it's not about my opinions on 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 those things. Even though, you know, I have other work that I can do that with, but that's not what the series is about. And I began to realize, like, more than a judge, I need a healer. I need mm. to work on the healer. And I need to bring out these things that will inspire, hopefully, that yeah. that kind of thing in other people. Um, and so that's when I realized the judge had to go, because mm. there's enough of that right, right now Absolutely. in our political and climate, social yeah. climate. Yeah. I don't want to dwell on this series too much, but it is kind of your iconic it's series at this yeah. point. I mean, yeah. they're just huge, these huge prints. They're beautiful. Thank um, you. Can you kind of just give us like a, a quick 
understanding of like what it takes to make the time frame and the effort it takes to make one of these prints oh like, i mean i think it's huge right? it's huge it's huge had i known when i started okay <laughs> so it'll take me you know a year easily oh, to wow. carve yeah. one of these blocks okay, okay. And I mean, I'm not a full-time artist, right? So I have, I have a day job, I have another career. And so I'm doing this in what is my free time, even though this is what I consider my, my most important fulfilling work, but it can take me a year to carve a woodcut. And then I have the tool after that year, I don't even have a finished piece. I have a tool that I use to create the finished piece. And so, um, when I have the woodcut, I go into a print shop and I roll ink on the surface and I put a piece of paper on top of it. I run it through a manual printing press. And then I see, once I pull that paper off, what the actual image is. Very often, I make changes, little changes here and there. I edit the image. And then I go into the color development. And so I use a particular process for a lot of my work called chincolé, which is a way of essentially collaging different pieces of colored paper onto a print while it's being run through a printing press. Oh, wow. Um, so all the color that you see in these pieces is hand dyed by me and then cut out to fit the area that I want to color. And so once I have the print, then I decide, okay, well, what areas of the print do I want to color? What do I want to emphasize? And then, um, I decide on my color palette. And so to do that, I mix, um, I use gouache and a mulberry paper. And so I, I mix these dye baths and I do swatches of color. And once I think I have a color palette that I want, then I have to expand that dye bath. So I keep very detailed recipes wow. so all of this can be replicated. Yeah. Then I, I will dye the paper that I want to see, cut it out to the shape I want to I want to print. These prints take about four people to produce. Mm-hmm. It takes about yeah. four people to produce one. It takes about two hours to pull one print. Um, so if I want to see the color on the actual piece, life size, I have to produce all that material, get all the people together, and we pull a print. And often I do what are called color trials. So I'll, I'll pull multiple prints in different color palettes and decide what I want from there. Yeah. Once I have that print and I'm like, okay, I want all the others to look like this, then I go into production mode, um, producing in bulk all the dyed paper and doing all of that. So it's very Mm. laborious and very time consuming. Wow. And it takes a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. The community. It does. So you're saying if I'm looking at this print, the Uh areas that are colored are actually another layer of paper. Yes. And how does it it adhere to the... Yeah, with wheat paste. With wheat paste. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so all of these woodcuts are printed on damp paper. Okay. So I soak the white paper. I'm soaking the the colored paper. Um, It's all blotted, uh, so it's just damp. And then a wheat paste is sprinkled on the back. And so the water in the paper activates the glue. So does the pressure as everything's being run through the printing Mm. press. So the pressure and the glue and the moisture in the paper all combine um, to create the print. And what about the alignment of the colored areas? How do mm. they stay in line with the black lines? Um, I have to lay them down. 
Okay. Exactly in the right on areas. The, on the, on wood- the block. Yeah. yeah. So the block is inked and it's a really thick, sticky oil-based ink. Oh, I see. Okay. And wow. um, then I just so tedious. Yes. Carefully <laughs> lay the dyed paper in. And some of these pieces, like the hair and the hunter, I mean, it takes two people to hold that. And the builder, the bird, it took three people to hold that that piece of paper as I was laying it down yeah, yeah. Um, into the ink because it's damp. So it's it's very, you know, it's really loose and it is very floppy. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, some of these, like this one has one, two, three, five, six, maybe 10, 15 pieces of paper in it. And then the undertaker has about 30 just in Whoa. the ground. Okay. Just in the ground. So it's, it's, I don't know what I'm doing, Scott. <laughs> Someone what needs are you to doing? stop me. Um, yeah, but I don't know. That's what makes it so fun. It's a challenge, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, I, this is what I want to see. This is what I want to do. How do we get it done? How yeah. do I pull these materials together and work within the time frame, right? Before the the paper gets too dry, before the glue gets too dry, before the ink gets too sticky. Yeah. You know, all these things have to be done in the right time. Who's working on what while I'm pulling what together so that we can all come together at the same time to pull the print yeah. at the right moment? I love that. It's yeah. a challenge, um, and it has to be figured out. It's quite a process, but that's what I love about it. It seems like there probably aren't that many printmakers who are the type of person that are too proud to ask for help. <laughs> I mean, it seems like, can you... I don't think they get very far. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure there's probably some yeah. print making styles you could just do by yourself yeah like small stuff yeah i guess so but that's not fun <laughs> so you don't have any problem asking for help having no. all these people help you it no doesn't... i love it i yeah. love it and having you know having other people involved is yeah it's very fun it's very enriching and i get to meet so many different people and um you know i travel to do visiting artist residencies yeah, I was ask and speak, you about that. yeah speak at universities to print students which i love to do um, and make prints with different presses and with different universities. And I get to meet so many different people and you mm. learn so much. I mean, people like you, you have the, the tools, right? The one one I know how to make an etching. I know how to make a woodcut, but then people who are developed in their practices have all these nuanced techniques and ways of problem solving, ways of making a print. And it's just developing a language of, of art making the more people that you work with and collaborate with. Yeah, that's so fun. Very exciting. Yeah. How do you get the opportunity to travel like that and be a visiting an art visiting artist and speak and how did that come about? Well, I have been very fortunate to have been invited and I get more and more invitations to do that the more I do. So my practice is kind of on this feedback loop mm-hmm. currently, which mm-hmm. I just blows my mind. It's yeah. it's really wonderful. The printmaking community can be very academic. A lot of times people learn printmaking in school because you need access to presses. And so it involves a lot of money. It can be um, hard to get into printmaking otherwise um, because it's you can't just go buy a press and buy all the chemistry and all the stuff, you know, yourself. Yeah. It's usually very communal. So a lot of um, people learning printmaking that happens in an academic setting. And so um, my community was kind of built out of an academic setting. So I feel like I was already in that environment to begin with. And then, you know, became friends with people who were teachers here or lecturers there or were working with the press somewhere. And so my work would get out that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what kind of things do you speak about? 
what we're speaking about yeah yeah i've i've so i have a, a background too in in gallery work and print publishing and and being a collaborative printer which means i print for other people and then talking about my my self-publishing practice and my inspiration and you know my my processes all of that kind of stuff yeah do you have any specific things that you always tell people that you feel like resonate with them like inspiring words or mm. advice or I guess, you know, uh, um, I don't know. I don't know that anything is really coming to mind. But, you know, I find myself speaking to, to younger students often, people who are learning printmaking or people who are in school. Mm-hmm. And when you're in an environment like that, you're being pushed to um, really, like, hone your chops, right? And try as many things as you possibly can. And so yeah. I always encourage people to, to always keep feeding yourself imagery and inspiration and just treat that as like a job almost, right? Putting these things in your subconscious because you're going to be mulling them over whether you're thinking about it or not. And the more you can feed your creative mind, the the richer it's going to be. And then also to stick to your guns. If you have something that you really want to make and that you really want to do, don't let people dissuade you. And develop your ideas. Trust your instinct, is another thing. If you have something that you find yourself doing over and over again, and you really want to do it, run with it, like take it to the limit and, and really, really push it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, you had some things. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Those just rolled right out. That's awesome. Okay, good. Um, what does it mean to be creative ambassador of visual arts for the city of Austin? <laughs> uh, that was my 2019 role. Yeah, I'm no I longer in the, um, <laughs> Yeah. So I got a grant to go to Germany so the city does, it's, it's a grant program. And mm-hmm. so you apply and it's open to theater, to dance, music, visual arts. Um, and I had an exhibition in Germany this uh, past year. And so I applied to go to Germany. And, and usually you're working with another cultural institution or organization. And I had an exhibition in a museum there in northern Germany. So it's a way for the city to um, kind of bridge these gaps between cultural institutions within our city, within other cities, yeah. or other countries. And so I got a grant to go there and do an artist talk for that exhibition. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool that the city of Austin does things like it was, that. Yeah, it's great. And, and I recommend that everybody looks into that yeah. opportunity. That's a specific grant. Does it have it a is. name? or it's? I guess that's the name, right? Yeah. Creative Ambassador. Think, yeah. Yeah. Creative Ambassador Grant. I okay. suppose. <laughs> so I guess we should also mention that you worked at Flatbed mm-hmm. Press mm-hmm. for like eight years. Yeah, yeah, I did. I started interning there um, in the print shop when I was in college and then kind of realized that's not, I'm not a master printer. Hmm. And so master printers are people who, um, who um, are extremely technically capable they're masters of printmaking right and artists come in and the master printers help them produce their work and so master printers you know print for other people it's extremely um intense and takes a lot of problem solving and i thought i I, that's what i thought i wanted to do and then i realized i don't want to do that that's not it's not for me and i want to spend my creative problem solving time working on my own work so then I, I moved to the gallery area and started working more on um on exhibitions and curatorial things and working with collectors and advancing the publication side of you know marketing and selling prints and curating yeah. exhibitions yeah mm-hmm. and then eventually you transitioned to working for the blanton which is where you are now right? yeah yeah in the prints and drawings department 
Yeah. What yeah. do you do there? I So my title is Matting and Framing Preparator. And so um, I am basically in charge of, of the works on paper, um, preparing them for exhibition or for collections housing or for incoming or outgoing loans from our institution to other institutions or vice versa. So that's prints and drawings, photographs, paintings on paper, books, manuscripts, pretty much anything on paper. I help the museum prepare for any yeah. of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, I imagine if there was any job where you would want to keep filling your head with cool that is images the that are the best in the world, probably. Yeah. There's yeah. one for you. Yeah. Yeah. And the Blanton has a has a works on paper collection of about 30,000 objects. Whoa. Very extensive. It's, it's an incredibly fun, dynamic, often challenging in terms ah. of problem-solving job, um, which I really like. And then um, I've been able to do a little bit of curating. So as a part of Print Austin that's just coming up, um, I'm going to be curating the um, print room pop-up. Um, so I'm pulling works from the Prints and Drawings collection that are made by Texas artists or printed in Texas, and they'll be on view during that event. At the so, mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so being able to, to do to continue curating there a little bit, yeah. you know, is also very fun. Yeah, who knows yeah. where that could lead. So maybe we could talk about some of your more recent work, like mm-hmm. this botanical series um, that you're doing. And one series, I don't know how recent it is, the one that I saw on your website, Loved to Death. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really, yeah. it kind of made me wonder, like, where did that come from? Mm. Yeah, so, okay, so Love to Death was a show that um, I had with a great friend of mine, an artist collaborator named Polly Morwood, who was living in Austin. Now she's back in Australia, where she um, where she's originally from. We created a series of prints together, print-centric work. Some of it was printmaking, some of it was collage, and I would handle kind of the printmaking side of that, and then we would compose the pieces together, and then she would go back and embroider um, embroider the work. And these are one of a kind. These are one actually. of a kind. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, it's love to death. It just kind of came to me. You know, I was working with these with these figures that I refer to as mischiefins that are like these mischievous sprites that appear in my work. So they usually yeah. are. Um, they are very childlike. Like they look like little chubby children, usually with skull heads or something like that, and they're little troublemakers. And so I expanded upon that. Um, character. And Polly uses um, the female figure. Her work is usually female nudes with botanicals growing out of their heads or replacing other body parts. And so we came up with a series of work. It was kind of like my mischiefins picking her flower women, yeah. you know, and carrying them in, in many different ways, you know, either like... Uh, Hanging from the ankle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just like dangling it like, oh, look at this cool plant I found or, you know, this weird thing or, you know, really holding on to it, like caressing it and being like, oh, this this gorgeous thing. But once a flower is picked, it it's going to die. It starts yeah. to wilt. And so there's kind of this idea of like this childlike... Um, and that's on a spectrum, right? The ones that are very, that seem very innocent and, and you know, caressing of their flowers are, are very innocent and then others where they're just like yanking them from the feet you know there's a spectrum of that um, yeah. of that sense of ownership and taking of them um, and so that's kind of mm. where love to death came from it's kind of a poetic take yeah. on that and those pieces 
have embroidery. They do. Mm-hmm. And the paper you, is embroidered. That? Polly did the embroidery. Oh, okay. She does an amazing job with that. And I mean, one reason we we're great friends. I, I love her to death. She uses a lot of botanicals in her work. So it was a really natural pairing for us because it's figurative. We incorporate a lot of plant imagery and that's important in my work. And, you know, with this newer series that I'm working on, um, it's, it's not figurative and they're, you know, kind of botanical illustration type, type pieces. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's just investigating more of the plant life that I like to use within my work. Although these are not based in reality, they're purely made up and fantastical. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is this your through the dusk, a light show that's coming up this work yeah Yeah, talk about that yeah so um it's going to be at rexbeck gallery part of print austin opening january 25th from five to nine and march 7th through march 7th (laughs) thank you yeah so so um laurel is is a very dear friend of mine she's the gallerist um that's hosting this exhibition and um she lost her previous gallery space um, the lease ran out. She was in the flatbed building, right. which is how we knew each other professionally in the beginning. Um, and then she signed a lease on this new location. I was fortunate to rent a studio space off the gallery space from her, which is where we are right now. Yeah. And um, so she a- approached me about having a- an exhibition this year. And um, I got super excited. We both got really excited and was like, yeah, that sounds great. How about Print Austin? Yeah, Print Austin's great. Yeah. I didn't realize well enough that that was just a few months in the future oh, right. at the time and so <laughs> and you wanted to make new work and i and of oh, course okay. yeah yeah, yeah no and problem. so um that's Another why challenge. i've been working <laughs> non-stop since yeah. mid-november right but i'm really excited about it because um plant imagery is very important in my work and the 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 idea of being grounded and rooted both you know physically and um metaphorically is very important. And so I wanted to take this idea and do something that's different, non-figurative, um, and explore these ideas more. And so I did a, a suite of woodcuts um, doing just that and printed those over New Year's Eve. And now that I'm back home, I'm working on a secondary body of work hmm. for that exhibition. Oh. So I'm very excited for it. Yeah, you printed those in Houston? I did. Right? I did. So you actually stayed press. down there? I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I spent um, about a month and a half producing those woodcuts, and then I was in Houston for three days, um, 28th through the 31st, oh, okay. and finished at 3 a.m. on New Year's Eve. Are you and just like sleeping on a cot in the print shop or something? <laughs> is that, an is Airbnb. That? <laughs> I got an Airbnb. See, I'll treat myself. <laughs> oh, okay. But I'm sure that... It's an option, and I've I've definitely napped in in print shops before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, talk about these images, the botanical images, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, well, they're also um, pattern-based. They're fantastical. They're smaller and have a lot to do with with symmetry and form and movement and um, pattern and um, I'm kind of thinking of, of them now that I've thought of titles as kind of these um mystical healing Hmm. entities not to sound too like hippy dippy but um and and bringing across like this you know a lot of people who collect plants and nurture plants there's something there that's i guess and at least for me um the nurturing of them and growing of them is very healthy for me it's like a good mental health 
It's practice. a relationship. It is a relationship. So it's almost like you're trying to engender the plants with a spirit. Yeah, to, exactly. So that you maybe you could empathize with them. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. And a lot of them, like they have like chubby parts or round parts that look kind of like animalistic in a way. Yeah. Like some of them look okay. kind of like snake like and snakes work their way into my work a lot yeah. or, you know, like having rabbit ears or something like that. And that is important in the work as well. Mm. Yeah. So what is this work that you're doing in addition to those now? It's collage based. And so there's an etching that I produced that's going to be in the exhibition um, in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, as part of a visiting artist workshop. It's that one right there. So it's a figure that's surrounded by this this type of cactus that I grow and propagate. And um, it's printed on a type of paper that was locally sourced called Kozo. It's a mulberry paper, but it's produced by the Morgan Paper Conservatory um, with plants that they grow um, there at the conservatory. Wow. And um, it's very thin, almost like onion skin. And so um, uh, I yeah, was there. watching that video of him pulling that print. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's so, so thin. It's so thin. <laughs> it's wild, but so, so strong. Nervous. Okay. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and um, so I went there. I did the key plate here in town and then I went with a couple other plates and finished them over four days while I was at the university and did artist talks in a formal lecture it was a whirlwind wow. of a time and we we pulled two prints successfully um and i wanted things from both of those prints in the bat um that the edition was going to look like and um they nailed it i had to go and just left it in their capable wow. hands and so they printed this edition and sent me the the strike prints the ones that didn't cut it for the edition things are you know slightly misregistered or just you know there are little um minor imperfections here and there and so i'm using those um pages that they sent back to me to produce another body of work that's Mm. collage based which i like to do um i like to utilize a lot of the scraps in my work the dyed paper that i produce um or bits and pieces of bad you know quote-unquote bad prints yeah um to make new work and utilize all the materials that i produce Mm. that way so these are kind of um geometric kind of tessellation visual poems that kind of thing yeah so are both both of these series that are going to be in this show coming up are they new in a sense Mm -hmm. new imagery for you yeah the the woodcuts were started in november and this this print um that i am repurposing was produced in the beginning of last year yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so maybe we could just finish by talking about print austin absolutely which is if you're hearing this before february 15th is still going on in some fashion 2020 january 15th well, no, I say the end. The okay, end got it. Okay, yeah. perfect. Um, <laughs> it goes on for a month from January does. 15th to February yes. 15th. Yes, so. it does. And yes, you're does. on the board and you're very involved. Yeah. And So yeah, tell us about Pr- Print Austin for anyone that might want to check yeah. it out. Well, it's a, it's a month-long printmaking festival, um, as you said, from January 15th to February 15th. And so there are exhibitions and artist talks and um, workshops and all kinds of print-related, print-centric events happening all over town in galleries and institutions. You can go to printaustin.org to see the full rundown of all of the events. 
Um, in February, there's an event called Print Expo, which is bringing um, a lot of printmakers from all over the country this year mm. to the Blue Genie Art Bazaar um, for a print fair, a weekend-long print fair that begins um, in the beginning of February. Yeah. And that's going to be really fun. We're expanding that this year, and everyone's really excited about it. So that's going to be a great thing to catch. Um, and then other really wonderful exhibitions throughout that whole month. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a ball. Is there still having a yes. ball this year too? Yeah, so Friday night of the print fair, there's a, like a masquerade ball. Yeah. Which is going to be That's super so fun. fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just so cool to walk around the space and and everyone has a booth and you get to see work from all over the place, mm-hmm. local mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm. from afar and all different types of print processes by individual artists and self-publishers and publishers and galleries local galleries um are coming in as well so mm-hmm. yeah it's a great way to see all different kinds of prints by all kinds of different people yeah and you'll probably see me there too because i will be taking pictures great <laughs> <laughs> well cool well thank you so much for your time Absolutely. and for sharing about your work and your life um and i'd definitely encourage people to check out printaustin.org and check out some events and just uh, figure out a way to start collecting prints. <laughs> if yes. you want to start collecting art, start Absolutely. with prints. It's a great way. It's a great way to start. Yeah. To start any art collection. You can find all different types of sizes. You can fit any, any budget. A lot of people, a lot of times people are, are intimidated by the idea of starting an art collection because there's this, you know, this idea that yeah. you have to spend a lot of money and that's definitely not the case. And going to events like the Print Expo or Print Austin, you can see as much work as you can possibly imagine. Or like flat stock during South by yeah. Southwest and, you know, collecting prints um, is a great way to start an art collection. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. This was wonderful. All right. Thanks for listening. One more thing before you go. If this episode or any other I've produced have helped you or added value to your life, please support the podcast so it can continue and grow. Just go to austinarttalk.com forward slash support. There you can find a link to my Patreon page and there is also a PayPal option and an Amazon affiliate link. I couldn't keep doing this without your help. All the best to you and take care.